Welcome to the Football Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Number Nine. And this is the Fool. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Football Podcast. I hope you've all been safe and uh, taking care of yourselves in these perilous times. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about because a lot has happened since our previous podcast. Yeah, a lot has happened since the previous podcast. Europe nearly self-destructed and now it's all back together again, mostly. It's basically Humpty Dumpty, right? Yeah. Like It's already fallen off the wall and, and UEFA called in all the men and for some reason also all the horses because, you know, <laughs> that will help. Definitely helps. And then you go in and... Uh, and they've gone in and not quite been able to put it back together again. Well, they plastered it up and pretended it's okay. But yeah, yeah. the tracks are still there. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, this is not surprising. We've had a podcast about how we think a European Super League would work. Um, yeah, because yeah. we know that that's what the big clubs want and that's where the money is. Now, I will point out my biases towards this. My main issue with the European Super League is that it was a closed system. Yeah. Um, I don't think it needs to be as radical a change as what I proposed as a Euro- for a European Super League, if, yeah, yeah. you know, creating a tier continental pyramid, which would uh, supported by smaller pyramids uh, nationally. Even though that would be super awesome if that happened. I think it would be the closest we could have to uh, the system now, but like the club, more competition for the top clubs. Like with the ESL, at least I get with your thing. Like if there is an ESL that exists with all the top clubs, Roman Abramovich doesn't care about winning the Champions League anymore. He wants to win the shiny thing. Yeah, and that's with Jake Mansour as well. So I get why they left. You know, they wouldn't start it because they're like, yeah. we're happy because, you know, we're in the business for the prestige, not for the, uh, you know, um, not for the money. Yeah, we've, we've, got all, this is, we've got all the money anyway. Like, like football is nice, but, you know, oil. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hydrocarbons. That's where the real money is. Like, football's like a means to an end. It's not the end. Yeah. Whereas, obviously, the American-owned clubs are not like that. No, no. And Spurs and Arsenal are just like, you invited us? Yeah, we can't have a good <laughs> well, Arsenal, there were like one of the Americans going to go, Spurs were probably like, you're inviting us? We <laughs> like, thought we were just like, not one of the cool kids. Like, yeah, yeah, you're one of us. Like, you know, come on, man. Like... <laughs> Spurs were just like, we're one of the big six. Just nobody say anything. Just stand in the party. It's okay. Pretend we're here. Like, to be fair, Spurs have actually justified it by making the Champions League final a couple of years ago. And, mm. like, even if they've not won a trophy, but, like, you know, Arsenal, like, hasn't qualified for Champions League in a couple of years. And, like, <laughs> it's not going to finish in the top four. You're like, okay. Like so basically, the top. Basically, the the big clubs of Europe and Arsenal and Spurs. Yeah, exactly. For that matter, AC Milan hasn't been like a top club in ages. Like, I'm not questioning their pedigree. Yeah, yeah. Like AC Milan, at least you can go there. The second most successful club in, you know, uh, European football. So you can't not have a club that's won this trophy seven times in yeah, the yeah. competition. That's, 
Like, I think once you've won the competition at least three, if you've won it three times, you're in the club. You know, there's like a club of like, yeah, we'll pick you because you've won it three times. Like, if Nottingham Forest had won one more, they would have been like, even though you're League Two, you've got an invite somehow. Somehow. That's where the the legacy clubs idea sort of fits well. Like, yeah, you've actually yeah. got a history in the, in the competition and you've won it and stuff. So, yeah, you get to be legacy and it's... Like, to be fair, that is one area in England where they didn't have a club. Like, they've got Liverpool, they've got uh, Manchester, the, the North, and they've got the London clubs, but they didn't have, like, a Midlands club, like, from the middle of the country. Yeah, yeah. Like, either Villa or uh, Forest had that pedigree. Like, Forest has won the European Cup twice, back-to-back even, and, like, yeah, yeah. Aston Villa's won it, you know? So those two clubs like combined have the legacy of like a club like yeah. the, of a club like okay Juve Inter AC Milan don't need to they've all won it at least three times if not more yeah. I don't know if AC Milan has won a European uh, cup but I uh, get the feeling they've won enough in Europe like they've won enough Europa Cups and you know yeah like if the like because they said they needed three other founders it would not have surprised me if one of those founders would have ended up being Sevilla because they're like always winning the Europa League um, I don't think any club from the German League would have gone and probably no. just needed two more it would probably be two uh, two more English clubs like that's why I'm that's why I think Everton had to like very vehemently go no no we don't want this we totally wouldn't take it and like <laughs> secretly like how dare you didn't ask us in the first <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, I just had a quick... Like, Ajax probably is actually the other club that would have been invited. They've won four or five. Mm -hmm. Like, I've, I know Ajax have won at least four Champions Leagues. And they've, you know, they've got a proud European record. Yeah. yeah. Maybe one of the Portuguese... Maybe the Portuguese big two in Ajax and Sevilla. Those are... Those are amongst the four you'd think would be looked at because, like, Portu Porto and Benefica are both, like, you know, they've won it twice and they've been yeah, yeah. to the finals multiple times. Yeah. And Ajax have won it heaps. Like, it almost <laughs> is like if you're doing the legacy thing, yeah, you kind of need Ajax in there. Yeah, exactly. Like, know. that's why my league system worked. Ajax is in that top 20. I Ironically, because of legacy. But... <laughs> <laughs> but they'd be in the top division and they'd probably be really competitive because they'd have a lot of money like yeah. I think they might be struggling against relegation for a year or two but like if they survived yeah, then yeah. Oh, they just go in and they'd go in with like their youth system getting in this so they don't and they can actually pay players so they don't have to sell them yeah and yeah, well, they've exactly. got the biggest network of expert people to bring in as coaches and, like, you know, scouts and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the two big Portuguese clubs would be the same. Like, if you had Ajax and the two big Portuguese clubs, as opposed to Sevilla, they would... Because they just have... The Portuguese clubs are just so good at the scouting thing. Because they're the six... Yeah. I think Portugal is the big six. Is the six after the big top five? That's the Portuguese league is considered the sixth best in Europe, and then seventh is Ajax, or it might be seventh is Russia, and then 
and then yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, the country coefficients for current ranking, like just looking at the club ones, England is number one. No surprises there. Like yeah. another back-to-back double. Uh, dub, uh, yeah. Like you know, uh, double. Not quite back. Yeah, like yeah, another double. Another all English final. Yeah, and like I think. Um, after Real Madrid, they're like you know England. If you don't, are, are generally the most successful country in the European state, and then Italy yeah, yeah. are third, which makes sense because Juve's been to a final. Yeah, yeah. I was a little surprised they hated Germany. Does you remember Borussia Dortmund they, don't do anything really? And yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, in Europe, like uh, to be fair though, they made one final, didn't they? Because Bayern's won, yeah, Bayern has won two Timmy. finals this decade, like from memory that I can think of. Because um, Chelsea's won one and Liverpool's won one, and yeah. like in the previous decade, 2010s, I'm saying. Uh, but if you're yeah, counting from 2012, know. Chelsea won 2012, and then you've got Bayern. Uh, there was an all German final. There was an all Spanish final. But Italy, like Juve, yeah. has consistently made the finals, even if they haven't won. Yeah, yeah. Well, Juve as well. Well, they made two finals. Yeah, yeah, yeah they've time. made two finals, and I think the clubs generally make the quarters and semis, like they make the knockouts. Yeah, yeah. Does so does Dortmund. But... Yeah. Yeah, it's just the. A little surprising, but yeah, because if you have four, like time. I think the others, like outside of Dortmund and Bayern, there's not, yeah, there's not right much. Whereas, like yeah. even Man United has made knockouts in the Champions League mm. in that time. And we gotta remember, Man United and Arsenal, I think, have won Europas. Sorry, not Arsenal. Yeah, Man United and yeah. Chelsea have won Europas in that time. And yeah, and Arsenal made it to a yeah. Final. And there's gonna be an all English. Uh, is it gonna be an all English Europa League as well? I don't know we're doubling up on that. We did it when it was, um, what is it? It was last year that that, that happened. Oh, sorry, the year that Liverpool no, won was like you've... when that happened. Yeah, yeah. So Liverpool Spurs were the uh, So Arsenal uh, have lost 2-1 in the uh, semi-final, but they've got, but that was away. So they've got an away goal and they're only one goal behind. So they could win. So it's potentially you could have an all English Europa League final as well. So England would be very much on top of the coefficient without a thing. Because like I think Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's not surprising. I bit. think Spain as well, I think either Atletico or Sevilla always win the Europa League if they're not playing in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. So and I think the new system it's gonna have like France is the gonna have four people. Qualify for Champions League spots, but like I think the we the activities from two weeks ago, two weeks okay. ago, maybe four weeks by the time you listen to this, <laughs> some amount of time. The the events happened like the clubs owned by American owners are probably not going to agree to a top tier league where they can be relegated from. It just poses yeah. too much risk, and it's. It's something alien to their sporting culture. 
and you know, this is purely from a sporting culture thing, that it, there are definitely good and bad parts of having a closed league system, and there are advantages to the American systems, because I do watch a lot of North American sports. There's a, quite a few teams in those systems that I support quite strongly. That being said, I think the system used in European football is far superior. Yeah. Like, there are disadvantages in the European system that are count somewhat countered by the American systems. But in the long run, it's just, it's very difficult. There's so much wastage of probable talent and money on teams that do nothing. Yeah. Just to give an example, like, there's fine for a very, very good player to never win a championship because they decide to stay in the club they love and stay there. Like a Stevie Girard, for example, like he's never won the Premier League. Sure, he's won Champions League and has a very stellar career, but, you know, that's, uh, that's all he's done because he's decided to stay at boyhood, his boyhood club. And you've got plenty of people like that. And, but the thing is, those, that was their personal choice. Yes. Whereas... Players who, in the North American system, don't even get a choice in the club they get to. They're drafted, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the term. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> if they get into a bad situation, um, they may just never get another chance, uh, or they just retire early. Like, yeah. There is a really famous uh, wide receiver named uh, Calvin Ridley, who is... Famous, uh, his nickname was Megatron, and basically, Ooh, if, just explaining something about, uh, without going too deeply into American football, he was basically one of the best wide receivers ever. He got drafted by the Detroit Lions, so he ended up just retiring when he was 29. Yeah. Because he just that, couldn't be arsed. That is, yeah. Playing the sport he loved anymore. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that being at the Detroit Lions. Like, at some point, you'd just be like, Why? Really sorry if there are Detroit Lions fans listening and they're feeling insulted, but they're the example I'm going to use because they're the perennial underachieving franchise of the NFL. They've got decent amount of money. They're in a de decently sized market. Like in the soccer world, if there was a club as bad as the Detroit Lions in the NFL, there would be another club in Detroit popping up to try and replace it, like, you yeah, know, yeah. and go up the pyramid. Yeah, exactly. Because it would just never get to that point because Detroit would have to compete for like, oh, we don't want to get relegated. So they'd actually have to compete and invest in the club. And yeah, they'd actually have to do They might be a flip-flop club, like one season good, one season bad, but that they'd still be that as opposed to what they are, yeah. you know, the <laughs> today. Uh, like a club that I think they have what they had one of the best quarterbacks in the league who just left in the off season and they didn't make uh I think they only made one playoff appearance with them. Yeah, if if that's yeah. Yeah, so that's the sort of thing. So that's the wasted talent. Like that doesn't and the NFL is the extreme version of that for North American sports. You yeah, rarely yeah. get that, for example, in basketball. Yeah. Uh, where because it's a more player-driven league and players are able to move around a bit more. So there are subtleties and there are things, you know, things that make a difference uh, in within these closed systems. They're all they all work kind of differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, um, uh, the main disadvantage of the European systems is that you'd say big clubs keep winning because they have more money and they're able to put, you know 
invest yeah. in their squads and and like and as you keep winning you attract more investment so it becomes a virtuous cycle for you yeah if and you it, keep doing it almost sort of turns into the the big clubs in Europe into a closed shop anyway because yeah they get the yes. money they get the good players they win the they win everything or they can win so therefore they get they can attract the good players which gives them more money because they get more fans more merchandise which means they can get more yeah. bigger players more bigger players give them more wins so it's exactly not exactly like it, they have a lot of uh, fear of relegation as it is anyway or risk exactly. of relegation as it is anyway well apart from arsenal apart from arsenal, big so. stick. <laughs> The, so, the, the big like, and I think Arsenal are exactly the model of the type of club an American owner wants to run. Like, uh, I don't usually say this, but yeah, I feel bad for Arsenal. Like, I I really miss the days when Arsenal were Man United's big rival, and we'd play in our, you know, every game. Like, it had so much venom and spite, and like the players really, really wanted to yeah. win against each other, and. You know, like, there were years when United won the league and Arsenal just be like, yeah, but we did the double over here. And we'd be like, yeah, they did, you know? Yeah. And that's the sort of rivalry you, uh, Manchester United and Arsenal had. Under an owner like Stan Kroenke, who was even by NFL standards considered to be a bad owner. So, you know, <laughs> like yeah. NFL, his, his NFL team fans don't like him. Yeah. And, like, he just wants Arsenal to qualify for Europe. That's it. Yeah, so he knows Arsenal are not getting relegated, um, and he only wants to do it with a certain value of money. He's basically given them what's forty million, fifty million is their transfer budget, unless they sell players. Yeah, something crazy like that. That's probably half of what West Ham has as a transfer budget. I just like thinking about that and comparing to what Chelsea had this year of two hundred yeah. plus million, and then yeah. yeah, Arsenal's having to do by go by with just you know you say fifty million at best. Plus whatever they can get from selling players, like it's yeah, just the with Arsenal being you know Chelsea and Arsenal should be reasonably equal in terms of everything. They're both big clubs, as you say, or yeah. traditionally big clubs. So there's an issue with that model of ownership where a lot is dependent on the type, the philosophy of the owner. Like Chelsea mm. lucked out that. Roman Abramovich literally fell in love with Chelsea Football Club. It's yeah. kind of known that he bought Chelsea for reasons that are kind of murky and needing to move a lot of his money from yeah, Russia yeah. into the UK and invest. And he wanted a club in London, ideally, so that he could invest. And they, like it's one of those great football what-ifs that season. Because I believe Roman Abramovich brought Chelsea in 2003. Um just yes. off the top of my head, that's. But that's like right. in that 2002 uh, season, if uh, if Newcastle had managed to finish fourth ahead of Chelsea, then Abramovich would have probably bought Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. And Bobby Robson would still be their manager because he's awesome. Yeah. And you know, Abramovich would have just given him money, and he's <laughs> like a player, and he's like a manager who's won stuff in. Uh, competition, so it would be this weird alternate universe, and Chelsea were almost going bankrupt. Like they needed to qualify for the Champions League that year. Like they were in a lot of debt, and yeah, yeah. I think almost back then, two hundred million dollars in debt was a lot of debt. Like Chelsea were potentially going to go the Leeds route. Yes, no, they they were. I think they were keeping afloat. But was it Ken Bates was the? Yeah, they kept afloat 
by just making it to the Champions League. Like that was going to earn them enough money to service their debt and pay their players and all this other stuff. Yeah, no, Ke- uh, was Ken Bates, right? That's the previous owner. Yeah. He was paying, he had been paying out of pocket to keep yeah. Chelsea afloat for the previous few seasons, like quite a number of yes. seasons. And he just, and he was going to keep doing it, but he was clearly saying, look, I like I can do this until we find a new owner, but I have to sell because I can't do this indefinitely. And he was also kind of like, you know, for like at the point where he probably almost didn't care who he was going to sell it to. And because he then went and bought like Leeds yeah. and like they went into bankruptcy again. So yeah, close yeah. to bankruptcy. So twice. I think he did sort of care. Like he, a little bit of thing, but the fact that yeah. he sold to Roman means that, yeah, not a lot of worrying. It was, the money was always going to yeah. outsell any other considerations. But, well, um, to be fair, Roman Abramovich just took on Chelsea's debt. He didn't pay any extra money on top of that. For, no, no. Which yeah, was he, like considerable. 200 million is a lot of debt to take on. And yeah. like Ken Bates was happy to be like, oh, I'm, I have 200 million extra dollars technically now. And he was going to invest in the club. And like to an extent, Roman Abramovich, Chelsea's like a hobby. Yes. For him, like Very in the nicest so. way possible. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's his big shiny car. And it's, I think it's turned more into that as well. Like the beginning, it, as you say, it was just a status symbol. I've got a football club because I'm a... Possible. I was just saying, because, yeah, he's a big billionaire, so he needed, yeah. you know, what do I, I need a sports team. Oh, look, there's an English Premier League team that's status there. It's in London as well. Chelsea, yeah, that's me. And I'll clarify, Roman Abramovich didn't revolutionise English football by being a billionaire who bought a football club. Like, there have <laughs> no. been plenty of rich people who have bought football clubs in England. He made a difference by be basically converting Chelsea into a business. Like, it is a... Chelsea is as close to a corporate, a high Fortune 500 corporate culture office in a football club that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there, I think Thomas Tuchel has basically cracked the code of how to be a good Chelsea manager. He's like, you don't know how long I'm going to be here. He's like, um, they gave me an 18-month contract. And I was like, you know what? If they gave me a four-month contract, doesn't mean they're not going to fire me anyway. Four-year contract doesn't mean they're not going to fire yeah, me yeah, anyway. Exactly. So why should I care? <laughs> like, all I have to do is keep performing and I win. And like, you know, that's how he looks. He's like, I don't, I'm, not here to build a di- I'm not here to build a dynasty. I'm here to keep winning and keep... And like, I can be ruthless as I want in getting rid of players and bringing in new players, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. And things like that. Because I think Chelsea also had, like, Roman Abramovich's uh, second-hand w- a woman, a right-hand woman, is very, very good at, like, selling and buying players. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea are arguably the best club at buying and selling players in European football, purely because the other clubs uh, have a bit of, you capitalize a lot on their brand and money to yeah. do it. Chelsea gets the best deals always, and they always yeah. get the person they want. Generally, they just always do. Yes, generally, there's been a few seasons where it and they happen, don't so. pick. They don't get into bidding wars over players who are going to be uh, go to other clubs, you know. And they yeah. never get used as like a club that's put up to inflate a price for another club. It never happens to Chelsea, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're correct. Like, there may be a little bit of grandstanding early on in the transfer window yeah. about something and thing, but when it's starts to get to the bit where they need to put money on the table. The money's only on the table for players that are almost guaranteed. Yep. And it's the players that they want. And 
or at least on paper, fit into the system and fit the gaps that yeah. are there. And I think the because Chelsea were the first to properly implement the system of having a, foot, a director of football who takes care of a long term vision and a um, yeah, which is separate to the manager and. Yeah. They have the commercial side of it run completely separately, like the, you know? Yeah. Basically, that lady whose name just escapes me, and to be honest, I would have a hard time pronouncing anyway. Uh, She uh, just comes in when they're like, look, this is our targets. This is the three people. We need to get at least two of them, and she will get, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's it. And there's like, and she just gets it with the money. Yeah. But then she doesn't decide who they are or anything like that. No, she just wants the targets decided. She, negoci- yeah. she, she just negotiates the money side. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Uh, then, you know, And the scouting team are like, we think they're valued at this. We think that this is a good price for them. This is what we think is an expensive but still good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because Chelsea still pay a bit of Chelsea tax. But it's nowhere yeah. near as much as Manchester United or Manchester City tax. No, no. For bike players. No. There's only and- a few times where perhaps we've had to pay... A little bit too over what the players really were. Yeah. But at the same time, generally it's worth it. Yes, I agree. So like, the, so you get the other side of the ownership model with Roman Abramovich. Obviously, yeah. Sheikh Mansour is just another level of that. And his things are less murky. He's out there to promote Abu Dhabi, promote the soft power. And that's also like, you know, people, even Manchester United people like, who live in Manchester acknowledge how much he invests in the local area community outreach and building up the area around Manchester City, which used to be yeah. like not that great into like, you know, this commercial campus, which is like, you know, just revitalize the city and things like that. So... He, like, Manchester City's fans uh, think he, uh, definitely think he's a very good owner, and they've probably kind of forgiven him because his reasons kind of made sense. And City were the first club to back out. Yeah, yeah. They were the first club to back out. I was hoping Chelsea would be pretty quick. But it was a race to see who was good. But they were both basically like, yeah, yeah. we're not going to stay here. We're going to leave. And yeah. Chelsea and City both had, like, people in their board vehemently against the idea yeah. as opposed to I think Spurs Arsenal and Manchester United where it was kind of like unanimous yeah or at least the people who were talking just weren't even given a voice to say what they wanted to say yeah and it, with Chelsea and City it was definitely sounded like the deciding factor was the fact that the other big clubs were going and they didn't it was a, a FOMO situation you know fear of missing out and the fear of well if it actually pulled off yeah, if it actually got pulled off and, you know, City and Chelsea missed out on a chance to be for being like a founder member with automatic membership into this yeah. ASL system, yeah, they would be like, yeah, we've just left billions of dollars on the table. Yeah, and it was, it was that fear of like, and the fear of the sporting side as well of something not playing against United yeah. City, you know, and the rest and the other European lot, um, that was... Those two bits, it was that fear bit that was the defining yeah. factor as opposed to the others where I feel like they were pushing the agenda a bit more for we they actually supported the the structure and the proposals. Like City and Chelsea to me did sound like they were didn't really yeah. support it. They just got a bit antsy that if it did actually work, as you say, that they would miss out. And they're like, well, if it's going to work, we need to be in as founder members, so we'll jump in. And yeah. So that's why as soon as it started to have a bit shaky, they were like, yeah, you know what? 
This is too shaky. We're out again. And once yeah. they jumped, that was the catalyst well, for everybody else. Well, once they saw the fan backlash, they were mm. basically like, this is the time to leave if we're going to leave. Yeah. Like, you know, like, be the first to leave is going to be the most beneficial. Because in the end of the day, even if it does go ahead, they'll get invited back. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they were going to go ahead without Chelsea and Manchester City. Like, that, yeah, yeah. that wasn't going to happen. No. Um, and and a lot of people have pointed out the 50 plus 1 rule in Germany as a alternative. There are many, many flaws with the 50 plus 1 rule. Do I think it is better than having a single owner? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are definitely many flaws. A, there is... Uh, lawn balls Leipzig look I'm not going to explain into it um, there's plenty of videos on YouTube and Google to look into but yeah there are loopholes one can use to uh, exploit the system just uh, like Red Bull have done by buying a lawn balls club yeah. who just happen to have a football team <laughs> and play in the Bundesliga <laughs> I wonder how that happens and I'm not even exaggerating yeah, like, I know. that's a what's what is the case and then you've got um and fan-owned claims can be badly run too charlton is a fan-owned team they're yeah. struggling championship and league two because it's you bad manage uh, bad management at the top and bad culture at the top leads to bad decisions yeah um schalke which is uh one of the few clubs in the Bundesliga that's 100 percent fan-owned so they don't even have the 50 49 uh, owned by a corporate mm. And they're about to be relegated. Like the yeah, first yeah. time in their history, I think they were the only Bundesliga club to have never been relegated, and they're going right. to get relegated. Um, Karlsruhe and the uh, sorry Kaiserslautern, like you know, storied German Bundesliga club as well, in that same boat. Um, and then uh, the big, big elephant in the room, if you're talking about fan-owned clubs, Barcelona and Real Madrid are fan-owned yeah. clubs. Yeah. Their fans actively support joining the ESL. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, though, are in this precarious situation where they've taken on a lot of debt to rebuild their stadium, investing into the club. And because of COVID, refinancing those payments are uh, are hurting them. Yeah. So it's not surprising to me that those were those two were the last two clubs to leave. I don't. They might still be in the ESL. I don't know. Maybe the ESL is just Clásicos forever. Oh, by the way, I looked it up. It's the European Super League still exists. It's the two Spanish clubs and two Italian clubs. Right. Or two Italians. So it's, um, I think it's AC and Juventus, AC Milan and Juventus and Barcelona Real Madrid are still technically in the European Super League and are claiming it's going to work somehow. With the four? Yeah. With those four? Well, they still claim there's going to be 20 teams and it's going to happen and they're going to make money, but... So Spain has a rule which they introduced in the 90s to make sure these clubs were well run because they were all fan-owned clubs. They were all what we call, what they call socios. So they were a club with members who paid subscriptions and that money is used to finance things. As you may have gathered, that doesn't usually generate much money mm. for clubs. So they make most of their money from endorsements, TV rights, and et cetera, et cetera. Because uh, even match day revenue is limited because a large portion of that ticket revenue goes to the socios who get a cheaper deal, yeah, yeah. as one would expect. Even though they have great stadiums and whatnot, and with a lot of capacity, they don't make as much money from the match day revenue. And also match day revenue outside of England is still not that high. Yeah. Uh, ticket prices are kind of capped at a certain level. Um, things like 
so a lot of these factors pay to, uh, pay into play into it. From memory, there are only uh, basically the in the nineties the Sp- the Spain made a rule that the clubs had to all form limited liability companies. Basically, what Man United were before, um, blah blah, and a bunch of other clubs, and their rules around shareholding and whatnot. So you couldn't yeah. have a single owner, or I think you could because there was a billionaire who bought Granada a few years, and I think they still own them and okay. Malaga as well, um, but. And uh, from memory, Sheikh Mansour owns Girona because they're one of the Citigroup clubs. So there, you can. So it is shares. So they, you can buy it yeah, like yeah. that. But a limited liability company. So at least their rules, they have to act like a business and like be sustainable. Yeah. Um, so they went the opposite route of Germany, but they said like the socio, uh, every socio-owned club had to show that they could run their club profitably, and if they did, they would be allowed to be grandfathered. And exist as a socio-owned club. So Real Madrid, Barcelona, um, Athletic Bilbao, I believe, and um, I think Real Valladolid are the four clubs in Spain that are all still socio-owned. From memory, those are the only four. But something in the back of my head says that uh, Atletico Madrid are in there somewhere, but can't be sure. So the system there is very, very different. So these fan-owned clubs... They pay subscriptions, and that's how their money works. They and they generally people like Fiorentina Perez are very good business people. Like he's a billionaire from pro- his property development uh, business, and he's kind of made it by himself. You know, so he's not terrible at the commercial side of things. That's why Real Madrid keep him, uh, keep electing yeah. him because he because ge- he just generates all this endorsement income for the club. And he invests money wisely, yeah, to get the club growing. Um, Barcelona, you one could argue, have been unlucky for the last few years and had the opposite issue: bad, you know, electing people who are bad at their uh, bad at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Barcelona were the last club in world football to put a shirt sponsor yeah, on okay. their jersey. And like a few years before they put a shirt sponsor, they used to have a UNICEF logo on there. And they used to pay UNICEF yeah. to put that logo on. Like they used to donate money to UNICEF and promote. Yeah, so they weren't, that. that wasn't a sponsorship. That was like a promotion and charity yeah, that yeah. they did. So they did donation. the opposite of what every other club did. Uh, yes, no, that was always good work by Barcelona. I yeah, so... That shows you how much they really needed to, you know, the, how desperate things got. Because they kind of sold out a lot of the club's, you know, core values to yeah, make yeah. money and compete with Real Madrid. The second uh, club, big time club to remove their shirts, uh, to get a shirt sponsor is Real Madrid. So oh. there you go. Yeah, yeah. Those two clubs have a lot of debt issues and money issues. So they were probably not happy with the Champions League reforms because it wasn't enough. It wasn't going to generate enough money for them. Yeah, and yeah. let's be honest, the Champions League new format is shit. Like, is that yeah. fair? Like, am I being too technical? Is it describing it? No, I, I, I don't feel like the new ones, from what I've read of it, doesn't really seem to be solving any of the problems. It's just adding more clubs yeah. to it so that it makes it more likely they'll qualify for the Champions League. Okay, guys, Barcelona, even a broke Barcelona is qualifying for the Champions League. 
Well, they they either add the legacy clubs in anyway for that, or the yeah, like I think it was four slots get reserved for legacy clubs that don't don't qualify otherwise, yeah. and so yeah, so it's it's basically turns it into a semi closed shop sort of. Yeah, uh, I guess they the legacy clubs is just their list of clubs that were they're afraid of almost and just which ones don't basically though the legacy club system is not is a bit more transparent it's whichever clubs are the highest in the coefficient that haven't ah. qualified for the champions league all right okay that's not a list of clubs somewhere that i was never 100 sure whether it was yeah just four more that were the highest coefficient so it could be anyone or if they were pandering yeah. to the to the 12 breakaway ones a bit and saying, well, well, you'll have a list anyway, so if you fall out, no matter what, you'll still get in. And I'm not sure about the whole, I guess, conference system is not really the right word, but you know the 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 European conference is something I, I can kind of accept it because I think it'll mean clubs from the smaller countries are more likely to win that competition. Yeah, at least because they get more slots there. But um, as I looked at it more and more, the European Conference League, like at the moment, like England has seven slots. So let's just say they finished exactly the way it is. Chelsea and the FA Cup, when it comes to European spots, are kind of irrelevant because Leicester and City, the current thing were to end the way it is, Leicester and City would qualify for the Champions League anyway. And this problem, if they get, was it six or seven slots, I think it's going to be much less um, relevant going forward. Yeah. Because somewhere in the top seven is probably going to be the FA Cup and the League Cup winner anyway. And also, the Champions League is not going to generate an extra UCL spot for them because because both teams have automatically qualified. For, yeah, yeah. Like, they both have qualified through their uh, country system. So it's nice and clean. Those yeah. The top four is top four. Uh, so unless Chelsea win the Champions League and fall out of the top four, then you've got five teams. Assuming the scenario currently stays the same, then you've got West Ham, Spurs uh, taking the Europa League spots, and Liverpool would go to the ECL slot spot. And let's be honest, the ECL like immediately Liverpool becomes a favourite to win the ECL <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. They're much superior to the team. Like with all due respect to whichever team is going to finish seventh in Spain or Italy or finish uh, sixth in Germany. Yeah. Sorry, no, seventh in Germany says it's to the top four all get seven uh, spots. Um, and like whoever's coming sixth in France or Portugal, yeah, they're not going to compete with Liverpool. Yeah. So this, it becomes a thing. But because Liverpool are get that legacy sp- uh, spot, because they were in the, uh, they're one of the top clubs in the coefficient, and they didn't qualify for the Champions League, they're not in the ECL. Yeah. And England wouldn't have a club. Like, you know, that makes it more likely that a smaller club will win the All right, yeah, yeah. the European Conference League. So a lot of the big clubs were like immediately looking, going, no, Liverpool's going to win this competition, hands down. Yeah. Not necessarily because they're in the coefficient and they may get into a legacy spot for the Champions League. So it's kind of it's kind of needed for like the reforms they're doing. As much as I dislike dislike it, 
it's kind of needed if they want the ECL to actually be a thing, a European trophy that the countries outside the top five can regularly vie for. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It gives gives that a bit more meaning, as you're saying, because yeah, yeah, you have clubs that can actually compete as opposed yeah. to one of the big countries, just unlucky club being there and being like, oh, well, I guess we're winning that competition this year. As I'm just looking at the Serie A just to compare, the, if it were to finish today the way it is, Roma would be the seventh place club. Mourinho's Roma. Yeah. We'll get into that maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but Roma are in like 14th place in that coefficient. So they're also likely to get a legacy slot. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of these clubs and, you know, I think the system is if they get a legacy slot, they will lose out, that country loses out on an ECL slot because that's only fair. Yeah, 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 that is, that does seem fair. Because, yeah, otherwise it's... Otherwise, even yeah. like a club, like if the eighth place club were to now take the Everton, they're going to win the ECL. Uh, <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. I mean, am I wrong here? Like, I, I don't no, think no. so. I don't think so either. You, you're fully correct. Like, yeah, a little bit more closer, but still. But, like, at the end of the day, how is this better than the old system? Like, it makes it better for some of the clubs when they're having a down season. It really only benefits the English clubs, if you think about it. Yeah, they're the te- they're the country with the most number of clubs that are probably like Spurs are probably another team that are probably going to get a legacy slot. Yeah, because they're in that uh, they're in the uh, top twenty at least of the uh, yeah they're fifteenth in that. Heck, Arsenal are tenth. Yeah. so Arsenal are going to get a legacy slot. Yeah, that say, tells Arsenal you what's getting. wrong with the system. <laughs> So basically, like, there's all these for, and I think, actually, no, to be fair, we just have to, we have to think, uh, I might have to relook at what, uh, what qualifies for these legacy slots, because I feel like, like, in my head, I can't see it being anything but at least two English teams, and I'm like, they're no, not going to just have six teams in the Champions League from England. Like, no, 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 it, it's less than that, so what is it? So the fourth extra slots. Uh, one of the additional places go to the club ranked third in the championship of the association in fifth position in the UEFA thing, so they get an extra one, I suppose. Slot two, yep. another will be awarded to a domestic champion by extending from four to five the number of clubs qualifying via the so-called Champions Pass. Yeah. And slots three and four awarded to the two clubs with the highest club coefficients that have not qualified automatically for Champions League stage, uh, but have qualified either for the Champions League qualification stage or the Europa League, the Europa Conference League. So they they do do a bit there. You have to still make it to one of the other Europe ones, and then you just get promoted up because you're right. Enough. So, so even so, in this scenario, it's still Spurs and Liverpool because they've qualified for yeah. So they would still get like promoted to the Champions League because they're qualifying for an ECL or an uh, you know. Uh, so Arsenal are out. So that's fair. Like yeah. I accept that because they didn't qualify for Europe. But, like, Liverpool and Spurs would still get a legacy slot in this system. Yeah, pretty much. I don't see anything in here that 
limits. They don't talk about any limits for per country. Uh, country. And then it's, I don't know if they change and that. Like, and if there's four of them, like you're saying, and I believe you, um, yeah. just that uh, then AS Roma get one of the others, probably, or one of the... Whoever will finish fifth, uh, sorry, because AS Roma have that legacy there, because the other clubs, ironically, Roma are ahead of clubs like AC Milan and um, I think Inter as well. Yeah, because yeah. they've been playing in the Champions League for the past few years, and they're so even potentially ahead of Napoli. Yeah. Yeah. So currently, that would, if you take the current coefficients, it'd be third place in the France League. Hmm. Whatever the champions path is, so some whoever's missing out based on the the champions path, uh, which I'm not 100 sure how that that works. Yeah, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, which is you're right, third place in both France and also uh, Portugal will make it to the. Um, well, that must mean to that... the Champions League. Okay. And they've got two Europa League slots and a Conference League slot each. Oh, yeah, yeah. In France. Yeah, no, the, the uh, same process works through the, the next two down as well. So yeah. the Europa League and the Conference League, they get the same structure works. So you just add in extra people as you need mm. as you go down. So it's basically, because is it based on the coefficient of the club uh, that this legacy slot could go to? Yeah, the two legacy slots are the highest club coefficients. So will those four... So the two legacy slots are literally just the highest club coefficient. So it would literally yeah. be uh, Liverpool as at the moment, if that were the case, and Roma. Yeah, so the two highest that don't make it in any other way. They just yeah. add in. Because like Arsenal aren't qualifying for Europe, so we can forget them. Yeah. So, and if Arsenal win the Europa League, they're in the Champions League anyway. So that's yeah. a moot point. Yeah, yeah. And so Liverpool are pretty much guaranteed a Champions League if the if the Swiss model was adopted next season, which it's not. So you're Liverpool, you're not escaping playing the first season of the European Conference League. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Sorry, Liverpool. Sorry, oh, guys. You go play it with them. A trophy you didn't want to get. <laughs> It'd be funnier if they don't get it. Yes, I agree. It'd be funnier for me if they needed to win it to qualify for the Europa League because <laughs> they're out of the Europa League again. That would be the funniest, actually. Yeah, because that would be really funny. But yeah, the Pool and Roma, just the, unless, because uh, Spurs are not going any further in Europe this season, so they're not going up. No. But I don't know how, because uh, I don't know what date the coefficient uh, they take it from, cause, because Roma hasn't, because Spurs were in a Champions League final a couple of years ago, and Roma yeah. haven't been in one, and I think the positions are slightly good, but Roma were in a semi-final for the Europa League this year. Yeah, so Roma is only marginally behind the uh, Spurs. I think right. they're on equal points. There's some sort of fair point differential that's been used to separate them. So you could end up with a thing where the two legacy slots would go to Spurs and Liverpool, unless they set a maximum of only five teams can play in from one country. And I yeah. think that's a rule that's been there before. Like this yeah. is not like. 
and that makes sense to me. So if Arsenal were to beat United, forget legacy slots. Liverpool, you're in the Conference League. Yeah. And Spurs, you're in, you're out of here as well. And it would go to Roma and whoever is the next highest uh, club that prob- looks like my maths are telling me it's either going to be Leon or Napoli. And even then, like I'm looking at this, Leon, Napoli, Roma, they're clubs that are going to win the Conference League if they don't get that legacy slot. Like, yeah. I can't see them lose to clubs from Portugal or Holland and because that's their European spot and it's what's guaranteeing them probably uh, a spot in the Europa League. They're going to go hard and try and win it. Exactly. They're good enough to win that sort of European Conference League, you would think. Um, Yeah. And it's because they decided that it was better to focus on the French League and and try I, that way. I, I know this would benefit Liverpool, but I feel like the top five leagues should just have all, like, they should just have no slots in the ECL. That one slot they have in the ECL should just be in the Europa League. But I guess that would mean they don't generate as much money. Yeah. For that competition. Like, I yeah. suddenly realized why they didn't do this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, oh, yeah, money. <laughs> It yep. comes down to why don't they do? Why did they do that? Oh, that's right, money. Yeah, need some money. Yeah. Exactly. That that was actually the very interesting discussion I had with a workmate, who was very upset about the European Super League, and I was like, "Yeah, no, it's a bad idea, but money. So what are you going to do?" He's like, "Yeah, no, but money's bad. Like it needs to be the purity of the game and all the rest." Like, yeah, but the owners say money, like. So you have to look at it and say, if there's enough driving force for them to go through it, and they did go through and, and sign it all up, then that money that they're looking at is significant money. So it's yeah. always going to be a driving force for them. They were going to want something like this, but they want that money. Yeah. They're always going to do as much as possible to try and get that extra billion dollars you know, uh, like it looked like they were saying it was what three hundred million as a joining reward for each of the founding clubs. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's you look at Spurs and Arsenal. That's definitely that's two reasons why they're all jumping in. Yeah, and Real Madrid and Barcelona are like, yes, please, that's uh, helping pay finance our stadium. Oh, sorry, Chelsea and Man City are like pocket change. Like pocket change, is, yeah, we just spent that three hundred <laughs> million. Okay, what, whatever, <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Shake the couch for me? I mean, putting that aside, like the other things Fiorentina Perez brings up, like player people aren't watching football on TV and not going. Dude, making the game shorter is not going to help. Like, I am all for trying out new things to make the game more accessible to the modern fan. Yeah. I'm not saying that we have to have that. But you haven't actually tried to make it affordable for the modern fan <laughs> to afford your product. And now you're saying you're going to give them less of it. Like <laughs> Saying that they don't want to spend one and a half hours at a football game when they're more than happy to spend three hours watching uh, the Avengers. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
that doesn't make sense. And like, you guys cost way more than a movie ticket. Movie tickets are expensive. Everybody bitches and moans about them. Everybody's yeah, yeah. going to watch the Avengers. Yeah. There's a reason they made two billion. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, the cinema industry are having the same problems as you, and they're not making their movies smaller. No. To try and get fans in, they're making them spectacles and like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Making them long. And like, if that if it was a case that we didn't want to. Uh, spe- like if that the younger generation didn't want to spend time watching stuff, and I can sort of get that, but like they like binging uh, Netflix shows, so that shows they like to sit down and absorb yeah. a long thing, um, and they like uh, when they're watching YouTube. Yes, they go through multiple, times, but that's like a thing of they're binging YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's YouTube you know? they're consuming, not the individual videos. Not the and- individual videos. So you're. Yeah. Uh, football were affordable, like as a po- even like if football was as affordable as it is as a Sky, uh, Spark Sport subscription in just for football. By the way, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. everything Spark Sport gives you in Europe. Like you could just pay, you got a pass, and you basically got to pick maybe a champ. You got a champ European football for free. Um, yeah, yeah. National teams, you know, all Euros and. Uh, FIFA stuff for free, uh, in the, included, not free, but, you know, included, included in the pass, and yeah. you got to pick, like, uh, to maybe one or two leagues, and each league you can add on with extra money, yeah, or yeah. even if you just went, look, the you could get all the European, you uh, can get the Euros and the World Cup as, like, a season pass, like a paper, pay like they did yeah. with the Rugby World Cup, so those are, like, yeah, pay an extra $20 and you get all the games sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, every league pass costs you, like, you know, uh, something like $5 a month. People happily pay that. Oh, easily. I mean, that's basically the model for the NFL pass and NBA pass and stuff yeah. like that in America, right? Yeah. Yeah, we have all the games Yeah, maybe here. $10 a month if you want to yeah. do it that way. But, yeah, if every, everybody would happily pay $10 a month for a Premier League pass, people who watch, you know, who are yeah. into English football would do that. Yeah. And po- lots of people of that age group they're trying to target would go, yeah, I'll try it. Yeah, oh, sure. Oh, you're giving a discount of like oh, thirty dollars. Uh, you do it for six months to get us in. Yeah, we'll do it. Then yeah, we'll yeah. check it out. Oh, and then yeah, it's worth ten dollars a month. If it's not, they're like, okay, there's. You're competing with Netflix. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're competing with YouTube, which is free if you're not paying for YouTube Red. Yeah, exactly. And. The elephant in the room. You're paying for. You're competing against pirates. Yeah, that that is the thing. Like you've got a. If you're providing streaming service, you're competing against the pirates, which means you've just got to. It's got to be nice and simple to use, not horrendously yeah. expensive, but that people feel like, yeah, I'm getting the value for money, and it's nice and yeah. easy. It's just there. I don't have to worry about all the crap coming from having to download Nobody illegal streams or whatever. $80 a month for a product where you're not using 90% of it. Yeah, exactly. So really, there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer when it comes to ownership models. And they have their ups and downs, and I think... And also, closed league versus open league, both issues have their problems. Even though I'm explaining what my biases are, um, and there are reasons why I have these biases. So... We it's a complicated issue. I think that calms it down. Like, but yeah. On a side note, go the fans who postponed that game against Liverpool. Yeah, oh yeah. 
throw that. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we have time for. Sure, we love to hear anyone's comments on this because I think it's definitely. an interesting discussion. Yeah, definitely. Either come into chat, Facebook, whatever, wherever you want to leave your comments. I think Absolutely. there's definitely a discussion to be had for this. Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you for listening and look forward to, hear, to hearing from you all next time. Well, listening yeah. in next time. See you next time.